Hi, welcome to episode 12 of the Mind Over Matter podcast. Today on the show we have a very special guest. He's my dad, Greg. He is probably the smartest dude I know about early American history. And I like him too, well obviously because he's my dad, but we don't agree on a lot of political stuff, but we can still have a civilized conversation about it. So that was kind of my goal with getting him on the show is to kind of discuss some historical controversies and see what we agree on and what we disagree on. So um, I thought it was a great episode and I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks for watching. And we're live. Someone special in the building today, Kevin's father. Yes, sir. I don't know if anyone could tell by the uh, resemblance, but here we are very fortunate enough to have my dad, Greg. How are you today, Dad? I'm great, Kevin. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, like we said, my uh, dad is with us today, and I would definitely say that you're a, a student of history. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of what we wanted to touch on. Is uh, is definitely something that my dad can talk about for ever. <laughs> well, it's uh, twenty years of teaching, so I could te talk about it quite a bit. Yeah. So, like, that's a good uh, good thing to talk about. What's like your your kind of background? Like a little bit about yourself. Um. So I am a PhD. PhD trained American historian, got my bachelor's and master's at St. John's University in Jamaica, Queens, and my PhD at Lehigh University. I taught for um, over about 20 years at various uh, community colleges and universities. So that's uh, mostly American survey courses and some environmental history and a couple other courses here or there, but kind of a more of a generalist in American history in the sense of... Um, because of my teaching was in survey stuff, which is covering broad periods of American history. While I do have some specialty areas, I also was very interested in just the whole range of American history from pretty much the start to where we are today. What uh, what would you say ignited your interest in history? That's a good question. Yeah, um, I think one of the things is, um, you know, I was in 1976, the bicentennial of the American Revolution was something that was very much etched in my childhood and it just really sparked an interest in what was happening. What happened in the American Revolution, um, you know, at that point, you know, we're in the Cub Scouts, we did all the Freedom Trail and all yeah. that kind of stuff, so it was very, very interesting. A lot of specials on television, just that really got me very interested in history, what happened in the past and then um, you know, after that um, I got more interested in other events. My grandfather was a an immigrant from Ireland and fought in World War II, so that also got me very interested in following up with that. So a very strong personal connection. But the bicentennial was kind of a special era. It's sort of yeah. When from was my recollection? It was it was just a lot of talk about the American Revolution. It was really exciting. What does the bicentennial part mean? Explain that to. Well, the, the, 200th, the 200th anniversary oh, of the oh. Declaration of Independence. Okay. Uh, so this was 1976. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. I even had a bicycle that was the um, that was red, white, and blue. Was that, I forget <laughs> what it was called. It was like the uh, Bicentennial Flyer or something like oh, that. Oh, Uncle, Uncle Sam's broom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, would you say that kids, like, the, the people that you teach have an interest in history? 
Um, some of them really do. Some of them get a really strong interest in history and follow it up. Some of them, of course, are there because it's a required course for some other program. <laughs> Can't right? knock College. it. We've got to be realistic about that. But, yeah, no, I've had a, quite a few students who interacted with me after they had taken my course and said they had followed up and read other things based on some of the stuff we covered. So that's always very good to see that people do get a – does spark an interest. But it – you know, I don't have to be, don't want to be unrealistic. It, that didn't necessarily spark an interest in everybody, which is which is fine. What, what made you want to teach it? Um, what, what, you like, know, once you start building up a really strong knowledge of it, and then you start talking to people, or you read things yeah. in the like if you read something in the news and you're like, well, why don't they know this? Why didn't they get this? <laughs> yeah. And then you just you sort of want to kind of talk about it's it. hard not to say something it it, it, it it almost seems like it could be a curse because like with me i know a little bit about history not as much as you obviously mm-hmm. but i know that enough to know that like the u.s government does a lot of crazy shit and they have a habit of lying to us about it and so for me it's like okay well i've seen all the messed up shit that the government did take the gulf of tonkin for instance a blatant lie to justify a war, right? And it's like, well, okay, now the people that seemingly trust the government's word at, like, it's the holy word, I, it's hard for me to say, like, it, it's just difficult to see, I'll say. Well, I think with the Gulf of Tonkin, uh, too, you have to put it in context of your view here in 2022 versus what people were thinking in 1964, so. What do you mean? Well, I think there was a lot more faith in... Well, people were being told by the government at that point, and that that trust, um, which may have been, um, it may be somewhat overstated by by people, um, but it was still much greater then than now, and certainly, um, you know, things like the Kennedy assassination, um, Watergate, the war in Vietnam, uh, all that stuff definitely eroded. I mean, so. Yeah, it's it's easy to see that the Gulf of Tonkin uh, incident, which may or may not have happened, which there were two incidents as it was reported at the time, may have only been one incident. If there was an incident, there's a lot of still yeah. people debating about that, but um, that's only the very start of the Vietnam War. It's when you get to later on and people see that there's been all these lies that people do feel betrayed, not just by by that one incident, but by that whole attitude of... We had all this faith in the the government yeah. that turned out not to be true, and I would also add people don't talk too much about this, but um, you know they do mention the Watergate, they do mention Vietnam, but I would also add the um, uh, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson because a lot of people put trust in things like the government scientists knowing what they're talking about or government programs uh, designed to, um, say, eradicate mosquitoes. And they would spray DDT all over the neighborhood, and they would say, okay, oh well... Oh, my God. And you would see that... You <laughs> I forgot see this these, was a thing. These yeah. trucks driving down the oh street spraying yeah. DDT out all over the neighborhood, and they would say, you know, bring your, your animals in. <laughs> I forgot, completely forgot about well, this. I was in high school at the covered, time. People's cars and stuff would be covered in, in this white powder. But yeah. You know, it was seeing that yeah. this is cancer-causing and has a very <laughs> deleterious effect on people's health, the community, <laughs> drinking water, everything. I think that was... That, oh, my God. Yeah. That's an unstated, uh, I think, aspect of that general decline of trust that happens throughout the 1960s and early 70s. Would, would you say that's a good thing? 
Like, is it I think a net healthy positive? skepticism. I think healthy skepticism is a good thing. Yes. So it would be a good thing for less people to just blindly trust. The well, you should always you should always verify. Because, like, for me, <laughs> I don't trust any one of these clowns. Man, you don't trust any no, people hell no, in general. Bro. Like <laughs> after seeing everything that they did, look at look at the war in Iraq. Well, it's not. Now yeah, it's not like seeing that. what they did, but now we, me and you both have experienced what they are currently doing. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, dude. <laughs> no, it's just hard for me to say. Like, y'all just blindly trust the U.S. Yeah. government when we do so much. Like, they just lie to people. Yeah, and I, I well, it, I wanted to bring up. Do you think there is a way for them to come back and regain the trust, or what is what is almost a solution? Because it's not going to go on for much longer without trust. Oh, I that I don't know. That's that's outside you know, the history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it's I like it's normally like a war. Yeah. yeah, it would take the government admitting to all their their if lies. For, not all, but at least start admitting yeah. to some. any of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much admission itself would do. It really makes you wonder, though, because I think now. Oh, yeah, yeah, like now is the best time to like be able to see that they're blowing smoke up our ass with anything. Because I can like take the the Russia Ukraine thing, right? I can go on Telegram and see that the Ukrainians are not doing as well as we're being led to believe. I can go on Twitter. I can go on Telegram. I can go on Reddit. It's really easy for the average person to get like firsthand accounts and kind of compare that to what the news media is saying. Yeah. But you didn't have that in Vietnam. You didn't yeah. have that. I, I, I got to believe if Twitter was a thing, we would never invaded Iraq in 2003 because people would have been able to see what an obvious lie yeah. that was. So then. What? Well, me and you bash social media all the time. Yeah. Well, because like. There's a good benefit from it's, it. Yeah. I mean, it's not entirely bad. Yeah. Like, it's nice to be able to like interact with people that I don't live near. Like, that's a good thing i guess yeah it's just do the do the, do the negatives outweigh the positives uh, Not a lot to who's to say anyway anyway he's so, said, but anyway yeah american history yeah before <laughs> before we started this show i told my dad that i had a question that i wanted to ask oh, him and i did go. not tell him what it is because i did not want to have him oh, no. formulate an answer that he thought i'd want to hear <laughs> No, so Which I never do anyway. We got you. <laughs> <laughs> we got you. Got, got you right where we want him. No, so one thing that I've definitely seen over the last few years, probably starting in like, or well, probably mid twenty twenty, is kind of this denigration of the founding fathers, mm-hmm. in the context of focusing on kind of what they did bad. Mm-hmm. So, like, what I'm seeing is like. Statues of like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander, or at least protests, protests regarding them, or like their statues being taken down. And I would just like there been any statues of George Washington uh, taken down in a courtroom in New York. There were yeah, there was a corporate courtroom in New York. Yeah, a statue of George. Okay, but but I I've definitely seen a fair amount of people on Reddit talking about how these guys had slaves, for example. Therefore, mm-hmm. nothing that they did was good. Yeah, that's like the argument pushed. Yeah, so yeah. So it seems. It's like they they did one thing that people don't really understand the context of at the time. And now they're using that as justification to say, oh, yeah, George Washington is actually so, 
some terrible racist or so whatever you have. Well, you can't. I mean, you can't dismiss the fact they did have enslaved people. Yeah, they were enslavers, and you can't. Yeah, I think you can't just write that off. But but my point when we were talking with Orkney about this is because he's like the most far left dude that we know that would actually talk to us. Um, <laughs> well, like they don't talk to people. Like it's hard of, to get someone to talk about. Yeah, that. yeah. But what I brought up though was that there wasn't a rich person alive anywhere back then that did not have slaves. Well, there, there might have been a, there might have been people that, rich people that didn't have slaves. But I, I see your point. Yeah, slavery slavery was so built into the system and uh, of colonization, uh, which we would have inherited from the British. Yeah, um, like they had slaves, right? The British did when we used to live. Yeah, there. well, Thomas Jefferson. Um, in the original draft of the Declaration of Independence had included a condemnation. Like, if you read the Declaration of Independence, everybody is familiar with the preamble, and that were created equal, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you get down to later part of it, um, it's written like an indictment, like Jefferson, the lawyer, actually would have written. And it has the list of things they want to condemn the king for. And the reason they're doing this is because... They feel they they know they're doing something extraordinary. They know they're doing something that is really almost completely unprecedented, and they want to put out an explanation of why they're doing this. This is part of the Enlightenment uh, thinking that we have to. There is a social contract. There's an agreement between the, the governed and the people, the society. This contract has been broken because of the the bad behavior of the government, the king. So we're going to list all the specific reasons why, and one of the, the reasons in stated, uh, stated in that was the idea that he had fo- foisted the slave trade and slavery on America, um, which is a little historically not quite accurate, but um, the, the point being that yeah. we, we are now vexed with this problem, in, in a way sort of forecasting a little bit, and not quite in the way I think he intended, um, an argument that was made in the 1940s by a um, Swedish sociologist named Gunnar Meidahl who pointed out that, um, sl- that that race is the American dilemma because of slavery. It's created something in America that's unique almost to America that is, that is going to be a, a social problem that America is going to struggle with for throughout its history, however long that's going to be. So like, Jefferson is sort of sees this ahead of time almost to some extent and saying, well, this is, this is something that he's really kind of stuck us with. But um, the South Carolinians in particular and, and other Southerners, including Virginians, wanted that taken out because... They didn't like the idea of you know any condemnation of slavery. So so like he was that was taken out. But that was original. I mean, he originally they, he did see the problem. And Jefferson's tricky because on the one hand he talks quite a bit about he understands what the problem is. He writes about it in private letters and correspondence, saying he knows that slavery is bad. He knows that you know he, if if there is a a final reckoning. Um, in in the in the afterworld, he's going to be condemned for it. He knows that, mm. but he can't quite because he's got all these other, uh, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, racist preconceptions about um, th- about race. He just can't quite perceive that you could just stop it. You know, <laughs> there's I mean, you really couldn't. Quite, yeah, that's <laughs> a he, hard. Really, he really can't. Uh, and I, I don't mean stop it economically. I mean stop it in in the sense of the races. That's he just can't. He just cannot see that the two races could possibly live together, and that's kind of the problem that that he he has. And of course, as he gets older, he gets more conservative, and but he's also becomes increasingly um, 
troubled and concerned about where this is all going to go. Mm. So with that, that one dude you were talking about was like that from Sweden or something. Was he saying, what, what, what was his name? Gunnar Myrdal. Yeah, was he saying then that like slavery was incompatible with the idea of an America? Well, I'm not as familiar with his full argument, um, but he, the, the basic point is that because of slavery, um, it has put America in a situation where it's going to be very difficult for it to, um, because there was this disparity in social position and political power between the races to have that true equality, and that was going to be a problem that was going to be... I mean, yeah, still vexing, and we yeah. still we still have it on this. Yeah, so still a problem now. Yeah, you, it begs you just can't wish it away. Begs the question though is like, if they're starting a new idea for a country, was it just like a default, like, oh, we're just going to bring slaves over? They just didn't even think about well, it. This, uh, well, slavery predates that. This. Yeah, so, so I'm getting at is like, if they know that slaves are not a good practice to have, right? Like, it's unethical to enslave a human being. If they knew that, why did they start America with, with slaves? It was just way too productive. <laughs> so, like it's, well, it was already entrenched at that point. What do you mean? Like, they already had slaves? Right, so, so you know, the first slaves were brought to British North America in 1619. So, it's only a small number, and slavery really doesn't... Becomes more entrenched throughout the the 17th century, and it's really by the time you get to the dawn of the 18th century in the year 1700 that slavery is is very entrenched in hmm. in North America, and that's of course you know 76 years before yeah. the Declaration of of Independence, and at that point it's it's very much entrenched. One of the things I think people may not understand too is that it wasn't strictly a Southern thing. There weren't just slaves in South Carolina, North Carolina, um, Virginia. That there were, in fact, slaves in New York, and there were slaves in Pennsylvania, and there were slaves in Massachusetts, and um, very entrenched throughout. And it was was very much a part of that colonial settler settler colonialism system yeah. that was being created. Well, because I'm thinking, like, if I'm going to start a new country... That's, yeah, that's exactly where I'm going it right It seems now. like a natural start, like stopping point to just say, okay, well, well, I don't know if they just leave them there or whatever, but, like, we're not going to bring this to our new world. And this was the point I had with Joseph, was that you almost, as an African living in Africa, like, you're almost thankful for a restart, is what I was saying. Like, this is a brand new world. Yeah, you're enslaved, but at some point... You know, like, it's hard to... Like, I gotta think that maybe some of them didn't enjoy Africa. I mean, they're still not today. I'm not saying let's yeah, enslave them no. and bring them here. It's not the best terms to come to America. I get but you're still saying, coming yeah. to America, yeah. Like, it's not a 100% which, Like, obviously no one wanted to be yeah, which, which No, it was a pretty bad thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody, want, nobody which, wants to be taken from their families. But how was it then... How was it entrenched into society... So it almost seemed, not easily, I guess, but how was it entrenched into society for so long? So, um, once, see, one of the things to understand is that the, um, 
And again, we're just I'm talking strictly of the British colonies in North America, what becomes the United States, and of course there's other colonies that the Spanish have, you know, colonies, the French have colonies, um, at one point the Dutch control New York City, um, so there, there are other European involvement, we're just think, speaking strictly of, of the British um, uh, in this situation, that um, in terms of the colony, the role of the, the, the colonies are supposed to play is they are sort of the place that provides the raw materials and they're the place that provides the market. So the raw materials are sent back to England, they're turned into something or some other part of the British Empire and then they're sold back to the colonists. <laughs> Works the, every time. That's, trick in the that's, book. that's the role. <laughs> it's the <laughs> oldest trick in the book. Sell them so back their own shit. <laughs> so that's part, part one. Uh, the other part too is that many of these colonies are actually not originally started as crown colonies. They're started as private corporations, joint stock companies. So a place like, you know, so like Virginia and Massachusetts, um, they originally start as, as corporates. They're not, they're not, it's not like, um, it's like uh, sending a, you know, Elon Musk or whatever company he owns sending a rocket into space versus NASA sending a rocket into space. Mm. So these, these, you know, the Spanish, their colonies are almost all run by the crown. These ones, these early British ones especially are run by private individuals. Well, private companies, and and you see this like Maryland too is a private um, colony of of, Cal of George Calvert, Lord Baltimore, uh, William Penn in Pennsylvania. That's another private. So what does that have to do with it? And what does mercantilism have to do with it? Well, these private com companies want to do what do they want to do? They want to make some money, baby. Hey, 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 we all. They want to make money. Yeah. And they're pushing this, yeah. you know, what, where do we yeah. fit in with the, with the um, mercantile system? We provide raw materials. So in a place like um, Virginia, what does that mean? That becomes tobacco farming. Yeah. Virginia was really just a very, uh, Jamestown particularly was a very terrible place to be. The amount of people that die in the first 20 years. I mean, I forget the exact number, but it's something like 20,000 people immigrated there, but the population in 1620 was only 2,000. Because what happened? So one, one, yeah, 20 of them made it? Yeah, so, so the, the fatality rate was enormous. But the, the, the larger yeah. point being is they, they want to make money. Yeah, they, they got money. They found out yeah. tobacco makes money, and then how do you grow more tobacco well, first they try white labor. That doesn't work out because white there's... White labor meaning not slaves. Uh, in, right. They try indentured servitude, which mm. is to bring over people from England where they're under a servant's contract for seven years, and then they supposedly get their freedom. But half, <laughs> they're like half slaves? Well, some of them were very horribly mistreated and treated um, maybe a little better than slaves. Yeah. But the, the thing is, is that when they get their freedom after seven years, sometimes there's no land for them, sometimes there's no opportunity for them, and they become this sort of population now of disgruntled people. Right. Just like middle class now. It's and the this, same shit. Yeah. This <laughs> sucks. <laughs> You're just stuck. This blows up an event called uh, Bacon's Rebellion, which happens in the, the 1670s. And after that is really when they start to... Uh, bring in large numbers of African slaves because they think they can control the slave population in a way they can't control the white Industrial population. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's where where it really becomes kind of entrenched, but it's basically in that money thing. So once you start having these plantations and you're bringing in and you've got, you know, uh, 50, uh, 100, 
150, 200 slaves in some of the largest plantations then. Um, and that's where the wealth is. It, become, it, it becomes difficult for these people to think that they can like, get rid of that and yeah. then replace that labor. And I'm strict, speaking strictly of the economics of it here because I know that's yeah. a terrible, cold-blooded way to talk about it. Yeah. But that's kind of how they did. But on top of that, you got to layer the, the very racist idea that they didn't think the races could live together. And then if they freed them, what would happen? And they, they really feared... Uh, a, a race war. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would be afraid of that. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> very, yeah, well, that's, very that's what that's yeah. what they that's what Jefferson, uh, among others, talked about. They said, you know, we will we will basically pay for our sins is really what they were saying. But the thing is, that never happens. Even during the Civil War, when their uh, slavery is crumbling, the slave the the formerly and the enslaved people are self emancipating. They're not you know going out and killing wholesale anybody. It's so the whole thing is yeah. built on this very fraudulent myth, and that yeah. I think is one yeah. of the hardest Ooh. things to comprehend as an historian. Because if you if you think about it, they could have done it. They could have done something in seventeen, and it wouldn't have caused this. Yeah, like if they had just nicked slavery in the ass when yeah when they when they enacted the U.S. But right, yeah, but it would have been hard. I'm not saying it would have been easy. Yeah, but it's almost hard. I I don't think it was in. uh, I I think it could have been done. Yeah, because that's what I was talking with Orkney was that like from 1776 to when the Civil War started 1861. Yes, like. That's that's kind of a good bit of time. What's that like 70, 80 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I'm questioning those like why did it take that long for us to to start realizing or not realizing but like acting on this problem? Cuz then is when we were finally caught up with the rest. Cuz I feel like part of the issue is they don't want to move to the Americas because well they they have to bring slavery because everyone else is doing it, right? Well, what happens is people, there's this sense during the American Revolution that perhaps slavery was going to um, die out. Tobacco is a very intensive uh, crop for the soil. It was draining the soil. So they thought okay. that that would kill off, you know, that eventually it was, if it, they were going to have to plant something other than tobacco and then slave labor wouldn't be um, valuable anymore. They thought also that, you know, the American Revolution had sold these ideals of, you know, freedom and liberty and that that was going to ultimately win out. So they, they kind of thought that slavery was just going to sort of naturally wind out somehow. Um, and it's it's wishful thinking. And there is, there, there are, you, you do see some liberalization in this time frame of things like uh, manumission, which is your right or ability to free your own slave. Yeah. I shouldn't say right, but your legal ability to free your own slave. But then there are these things that happen in the 1790s that change this. And one of them is there's a revolt in Haiti. And that makes whites in general in North America, but slave owners in particular, fearful of of a free black population. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then you have the creation of the cotton gin, which allows cotton to be... um, The seeds to be separated from the the material in the plant to create the fabric. And then a little later on, you get the Industrial Revolution, and you get the uh, uh, War of 1812... And after the War of 1812, um, Andrew Jackson destroys basically the Native American resistance in the South. William Henry Harrison destroys the Native American resistance in the North. And Americans pour all the way to the Mississippi River. And by 1820, Illinois, 
Indiana becomes states, Ohio becomes fully settled, Missouri becomes a state, Alabama becomes a state, Mississippi becomes a state, Louisiana becomes a state. And and roaring 20s, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and all of these um, southern states, there's a, just like a belt, a, a wave of cotton that goes through them because now you have yeah. factories demanding cotton, you have this machine, the cotton gin that can separate the cotton and make it profitable. You now have the land to do it in the now southwest. You have the people that need it, and the people that so slavery becomes more entrenched at that point because it becomes this literally is part of the new economic system because the cotton is done what it goes to the factories where it's turned into articles and then it's sold to the consumers. So, so they you said they sl- they switched from indentured servitude to slavery from right. or slavery, race slavery essentially why did they do that it's just easier were they more willing to be slaves did they force them to be slaves you know what i'm saying they went over there and said get on our boats oh how did they get how did they get like the, yeah why was it easier to the, get the african-american slaves rather than the people literally signing their you said they're signing yeah, Af- seven-year contract africa's far away from yeah. great britain and then but you also have people literally willing to Willingly signing seven, like you said, contracts to go over there. Right, uh, indentured uh, servants, and you had lots of other um, white immigrants coming from yeah. Europe. I'd um, much rather uh, have someone willing to do it work under me than yeah someone I'm forcing. Well, I I, I think the other thing too is um, you have to you have to think too that um, you know there's still. This is this is way before the American Revolution, and way before a lot of the ideas that may have been released during the American Revolution. This is still in the wake of feudalism and their attitudes yeah. there about um, labor and their attitudes about social uh, position and hierarchy and where people should be. Um, so they again they really had a very dim view of the whites yeah. uh, working class. Uh, um, or peasant class as well, so that's that's there. Um, but but the the thing is, the Af- they, the African slaves were taken from Africa. Um, often they were traded by um, by Africans uh, to the whoever was the colonial. Often they were stolen. Often they were you know taken from other groups, but whatever. But then they're taken across um, and sold to to America, and it's. It's it's much it's it's cheaper that way to do it. How and again you know, to talk again yeah. talking bl- cold bloodedly yeah. about the economics, which again deprives it of the the inhumanity of it. But that's you know that economics thing. because unfortunately yeah, they no, weren't I mean, they weren't thinking of the humanity. Yeah. Of it. They weren't thinking of of it on that regard. Economics yeah. deprived the humanity of it. No, I, I mean like you, <laughs> it it makes sense like to think about it as an economic issue because like to these people that were doing it that's all they thought of it yeah because like they, they couldn't no that's what I'm trying to think of because no, no one's thinking of it as that way no yeah one, you yeah know, put, your, put yourself in the shoes of the colonizer yeah that's what I'm trying to get yeah. at is like we, we we view slavery like with the understanding that we now have that it's a very evil thing to do and so we kind of criticize people not, not justifying slavery of course but we criticize people through the wrong lens, I think. It's like... Yeah, well, yeah. 
and then kind of just circling it around why would your first question why does that completely discredit what the founding fathers actually did for the country I don't think it discredits it at all like, I, th- I think it's hard to understate what a revolutionary idea America was at the time and just how a, a, of an enormous undertaking that was. And I don't think that it's beneficial to say, oh, these guys had slaves under what we now understand as bad. Like, not that they yeah. didn't know it was bad, but, like, they viewed it as an economic thing. We don't view it as economic anymore because it's, it's... We don't important. need it. Yeah. yeah. But... I just don't think that it's good to have the heroes of a country Bash. kind of removed. Yeah. Well, I personally, I do think it discredits them. Not entirely, but it is a discrediting. Yeah. You can't. I just. I just don't think you can get past that. And I, to me, it's not something to use just to condemn them or to, or to uh, uh, minimize them. And to exclude them from any conversation, but I think it's important to note that, you know, as I would tell my class every time, I love America, I don't think there's a better country than what we have, mm-hmm. but we're still a flawed country, as we are all flawed human beings, and we can't ignore that this was, you know, centrally yeah. in the cradle of our of our yeah. country's birth. This this well, it wasn't even, it wasn't just that. the country though. Is the issue is like we're only bringing up like oh, founding fathers suck because they had them, but at the time, like it was like fashionable. So when you're bringing it up about the founding founding fathers, I mean, you also have to bring it up like this is what the world was doing at the time. Well, that, that, yeah. that and is it was true. It was entirely bad. Like it's not just Everyone the founding, yeah. yeah. So like that is that yeah. is true, but I think the thing that um, that that can be a struggle for me as an historian is the fact that we were also almost the last country to give up slavery. Yeah, that that and it took a, a, a war to do that. That um, you know, uh, Brazil comes twenty years after us, um, and I think Cuba was just like eighteen sixty seven or something when they get rid of slavery. But that's it. Eighteen sixty seven. Where where. Yeah. Almost the last, con- and it was yeah. thriving, for lack of a better term, in 1861. So I really, that that's the part I kind of struggle with. I think it was, um, who knows how long it would have gone on without the war. Yeah, just because like it's a tough thing for me because like there are still slaves now. There's a, a, well, that's a whole other thing. That's a very good point. There, slavery did not go away with the American Civil War. It exists yeah. worldwide, and there are probably more slaves now than ever before. Well, I shouldn't say that, but I've read things, and I'm not sure how credible they are about the numbers of slaves existing in the in the world today. But certainly, a a remarkable number of people are still enslaved today. Right, and I, th- yeah, I think yeah. it's tragic, and I don't think enough people pay attention. I think you're right about that for sure. I mean, if we, we can look back to the ancient Egyptians, they had slaves back then. Well, yeah, that's true, but uh, but I, I think the difference between slavery in America and slavery in, in the ancient world is that in the ancient world, if you were a slave, you were a slave... Um, like, well, I'll put it, put it this way... You couldn't go to a, a, a mall in, say, Rome, and I know this is a little bit of a... A mall in Rome? Go to the Zoomies. What do you know? A mall in Rome, and I, I, I know this is a little bit of a silly thing with genealogy and everything and all the history that's come up in the years since the Roman Empire fell, but the point is you couldn't go to... If you went to Rome, uh, a mall in Rome, you couldn't pick out who the descendants of the slaves were. 
versus who were the descendants of the Roman senators Emperors, were. Yeah. But if you went to a mall in America, you could pretty much guess who the descendants of the yeah. slaves are and who, they, who they're not. And that's, that's because slavery in America was race-based, and that is really the tragic part of it. And you don't have race-based slavery in Egypt or Rome or um, ancient Israel was another place that was frequently mentioned as a defense among slaveholders in the American South. And that, that's a huge difference because um, there's an extra added stigma to it, and that's the, the thing we're, that still pervades in American society. And I, I think that's very different from the slavery in other parts of the world um, prior like, to that. We still have these kind of remnants of slavery, would you say? I mean, not remnants is the right word, but like we... There's like that wound is still Vis- healing. Visuality, almost. like well, you the, the, could the, the, the see wound, that it existed. Yeah, yeah the wound <laughs> is healing, and, and and you see the the, the legacy after slavery. Yeah, that with, it built with yeah. the segregation and um, disenfranchisement. And because what one thing that I I kind of struggle with this topic in that like. I understand that we're kind of still healing our wounds from slavery, mm-hmm. but right now, like, it's entirely illegal to treat someone different based off of how they look, I mean, in a legal sense. Yeah, I was going to kind of tie it into the sy- systemic oppression. Yeah. Like, like, is there racial systemic oppression, in your opinion, and kind of, is it almost like... Like it's like stay, the race war is still happening today because the I mean if you look at well, the rich population race, I wouldn't say race war <laughs> yeah I don't know I, I would say I would say uh, yes I do think there is very much still racism but, but it's existence and I think I think it I think it is written into um, many of the has been written into many of the laws I mean if you look at there's so many things that. If you look at the history of like um, everything from like housing laws, like redlining, you're talking about. Well, redlining, um, restrictive covenants in um, deeds, in um, bank lending, which would also be part of redlining. Mm-hmm. And and here's where you talk you talked earlier about the federal government, you know, um, and and segregation too wasn't just limited to the south it was practiced in the north as well mm-hmm. so like in a place like a city like chicago where hey that's where trevor's from yes yeah, sir so <laughs> so in a city like chicago they had a, a a ghetto and that is where um african americans are more or less confined and when they there was attempts to break out in the years around world one there were there were violent um race riots in response to that saying you know we're not expanding so one of the things that, you know, you get more and more people are flooding into this area. They're not allowed to move outside of the area. So how do you remedy this problem? The conditions in the area are deteriorating dramatically. It's causing a lot of problems. Um, how exactly do you remedy this? Well, one of the things is they took federal housing money, and what did they do? They didn't build it out. They built it up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, that would be one way of kind of... So it begs the question is like I think there's part of everyone that's I would not necessarily racist but it's it's human nature to be not afraid but to see something that's different from you well yeah. and trust it less well the the other definitely but you know personally as an American we're all Americans and that, that's yeah the, yeah the part I think that that is is something that 
that would break that down. But do you think it's possible for us to have a country where... Because, like, that's a pretty unique thing to America, how you have a bunch of different races of people all in one country. Right, and it's been a struggle since 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 the the earliest days. And and it's not just, again, it's not... Race is obviously a huge part of this, but, you know, the same thing happened with other, other groups... I mean, religion, that, I'm sure. Yeah. Religion no. was another, yeah. yes, that's all, another thing that's divided. But I, I do think America is not a people but an idea, and that idea should be inclusive to to all people who want to subscribe to it. And that idea is, you know, that um, there's equality and there's freedom and there's opportunity, and I, I think that's, and liberty, and I think those are the things that make America and have always made America. Like, I think it could work like the concept of America. But I think in order for it to work, there'd need to be this collective sense of like, or sense of nationalism. You need to be united. You would need to love America for the idea of everyone from every different You need to love America more than your own race or religion or whatever is dividing you is the thing. That that would have to replace which, that would have to replace the community you're in now. Yeah, it like, would have to be like you love this more than this, so let's focus on this more. Let's all focus on America more, and now we've united. Yeah, which which, which is what I think we have now as a as a society is we don't have a it's collective. The <laughs> there, there's no collective cause that every American can unite against. Well, that, I think that's true, and I don't think it has to be necessarily an external thing, like a World War II situation. Yeah, that but was... I think, yeah. I think the part... For me, the problem is, and I, and I know I probably differ from what you you both may be thinking, but uh, to me, the problem is the what you talked about comes, comes second, not first, that people have to feel that they are part of that America before yeah. they can believe it, and if they feel they... And they have reason to... to to feel they can't, then I think that inhibits what you what you're talking about. But I think what you're talking about is important. But I just don't. I think people have to feel included and before they could, you know, subscribe to that. Like a what came first, the chicken or the egg type deal. It's like yeah. people people yeah. need to be a part of the or people need to feel like they're a part of the country in order to love the country. Yes, right. Like that that makes sense to me. But you don't have that common cause for us to love our country for like like take the elections we were talking about this a few months ago how older elections like the 1984 election reagan won all but one state i i could never see that in a thousand years happening in america right now well my 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 historical sense is that um there was this period from we'll say 1920 to 1988 where there was just this abnormal time frame. And unfortunately, that abnormal time frame has become what everybody thinks is normal. So in terms of presidential elections, um, if you look at that time frame, there were four close elections, right? You had um, uh, 1948, 1960, 1968, 1976. All the other elections were blowouts, like all the ones other than those four. Right. So in 1920, Harding mm-hmm. wins 60 percent of the vote. I mean, Warren Harding. Come on. Um, FDR, come on. Man. FDR has the biggest landslide in in um, history in 1936. Uh, um, F uh, LBJ in 1964 gets over 60 percent of the vote. He actually has the highest um, 
uh, at sixty-one percent of the popular vote, we know the popular vote doesn't count. Yeah. But that's yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's, that's the point is then, then yeah. Nixon's reelection in nineteen sixty-two, and then and then Reagan in nineteen eighty-four. But all the other elections were were pretty big. But the point is, is that that period was these very high election turnouts. Now, what we've had since nineteen ninety-two is pretty much what we had before nineteen twenty, which is that most of the elections are going to be very close. There are red and blue states that are equally uh, divided, and and the and I think that's more what we're seeing now with um, and people and, and and elections being decided in the electoral uh, um, college that th- those votes are abnormal compared to the in meaning that there's uh, you can win the electoral college by not winning the popular yeah. vote. Yeah. that was stuff that that that, that all <clears throat> happened before 1920. So I think we're kind of more in that. That kind of thing. I think the only thing that we haven't seen that was more common in the 19th century um, was that you had multiple parties running, and I think we're heading towards that. Honestly, yeah. I think the party I system hope. is. Uh, yeah. I think the party system is breaking down a little bit, and I think you're seeing people already moving around, and I think that's going to be perhaps something that we'll see in the future. So, like Kevin was saying, we, before 1920, I mean, from 1920 to I don't remember the year you said. 88. 88. Mm-hmm. It was more united. Um, yeah, and yeah, okay, I see, during I see that world, yeah. during the world history, there was more stuff going on to unite around. Before 1920, I don't know my history well, I'm sure. No. Was there things to unite around? I mean, even I see, now you're so seeing I, it, so there I, aren't. Right, so I see what you're saying. You're, you're talking about... Um, you know, of course, there's um, the Great Depression, mm-hmm. which was, I don't know if I'd call that a unifying event, but yeah. there I mean, seemed to be a consensus in this country about about it. Um, there's a consensus on inflation right now, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's World War Two, and then there's the Cold War. And while those things were, there were divisive elements of that, of course, but I could see your point, yeah, that those were unifying things. And then, of course... You know, after '88, the um, you know the Berlin Wall falls down in '86. So by the time you get to 1992, the Cold War is pretty much over. Mm-hmm. So I see your point. Yeah, I don't know how much of that um, could have been a factor. That could have been for sure. I think I think there's other things too. Um, you know, one of the the abnormal uh, things is you know America is very economically dominant in the 19. 19- 50s. Why is that? Because every other country's economy is pretty much destroyed by World War II. Hell, yeah. fuck yeah. USA! USA! <laughs> <laughs> and we're the only ones who who come out of that stronger economically. Money! They, uh, dominate it, the world. It's the oldest trick in the book, dude. Just be the economic powerhouse of the world and you'll be fine. But people talk about, let's go back to the... We're never going back there. That was a once-in-a-human-history situation. Yeah. You're just not going back you, there. You don't want to almost it's kind of scary I would scary like situation. to go back I mean I gotta be careful with how I word this come on. <laughs> come on come on no I mean if I was dropped into 1951 I could see it being a pretty cool place to live well maybe 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 a little later in the 1950s 1956 oh there you go well, what, <laughs> that happened sounds in, good. what happened in 51 
Well, I'm just saying, um, the, the 50s weren't unified entirely uh, in the sense of, you know, there were, there were you know, everyone thinks of the 50s, they think of Eisenhower, they think of Leave it to Beaver, they think the of white Suburbia, picket fence, yeah. the white picket fence, what? everybody was making money, everybody had a job, and of course, you know, it excludes things like, you know, segregation in the South and the resistance to that. Um, it, it, and, and of course... <laughs> And of course, when you get to 1951, of course you got the Korean War, which oh, so was not then. popular and was very divisive. Everyone has this very bizarre sense that the Vietnam War was the first divisive war that Americans disagreed with. That's not true. The Americans have disagreed about almost every war, and even you can make a good <laughs> you can make a good case about World War Two. I mean, um, we're about there was there was even a lot of um, more dissent with that than ever than most people think. Was there debate among like in World War Two about which side America should join? Well, it, 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 before the before the United States is involved in the war, meaning before Pearl mm-hmm. Harbor, there was debate whether the United States should be involved at all. It, I don't think there was anybody that ever said we should join the German side. Um, but yeah, there were there were people there were people that that said we should stay out of it even. Um, b- before the war, before the United States is involved with, when and and the United States is President Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt is trying to come up with ways to give aid and assistance to Great Britain, and um, the the there is resistance to that. Did the average like, did the average American know like what the Nazis and all them were doing? Um, I'm not sure how much the average American cared what the Nazis were doing. Oh, really? Honestly, I, I don't. Um, like, how did they sell? I mean, you think now? Well, I mean, do you really care what's going on in Syria? Like, they're just gassing their citizens. And I all mean, that shit, you know what I'm saying? Not really. Yeah. But I, I think you probably know more about what's happening in Syria than yeah, Americans would have known about. Yeah, that's the a Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have YouTube. I mean, Come on. they couldn't go on Twitter and look up what the Nazis were doing. You know. Yeah. I'm just curious how they they spun that war to the Americans like sell it because like we got attacked by the Japanese and now like two days later we're going to war with Europe. Well, that's because uh, um, Hitler did uh, Roosevelt the solid and declared war on the United States. Oldest oh. <laughs> <laughs> trick in the book, dude. So we didn't Hitler, have to yeah. come up with any ways of doing that. Although um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure eventually would have we would have found a way into that war. Did the oh, had to. Did the Germans themselves know that, like... That's how bad it was? Because, like, here's here's what I'm thinking. From 1933 to 19... We'll say 44. Mm-hmm. The Germans that were living in Germany, that would have been a pretty good life. Like... After World War One. Like, I'm saying, from when Hitler rose to power, yeah. started all this nationalism stuff, until the war started declining. I... They... I, I gotta believe that they didn't know all the shit that was actually going on in Germany. I I, I don't agree with that. What do you mean? Uh-oh. I, I, I do think they knew what was happening. Yeah? Yeah, yeah I, think I think that's why whole, they united. I mean, you would know more than I would. I, I think this whole thing of <clears throat> they didn't know about the concentration camps, That I think that's all BS. I think they knew... They knew what was. Happening. I mean, there they weren't saw like their neighbors disappearing. They yeah, saw these people being. They weren't up like on the necessarily secretive about it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, they had a whole pro- <laughs> they had a whole propaganda department, though. No, that's what I'm saying. The propaganda uh, it wasn't necessarily like it's not as bad as the propaganda today. I would say. 
Oh, I'd say. The, pro- the, propaganda, yeah, was, the propaganda was about giving the messages. It wasn't necessarily about... Um, yeah. Yeah, but like... like and, they, and they supported the message. Yeah, but it's like... It's just like, like feminism. Yeah, but, but I'm, I'm saying, though, is like, Goebbels wouldn't come out and saying, like, we're killing all these Jews. Like, the message that would be pushed by the German media is everything is great, nothing bad is happening. And 31 is what you're talking about. Uh, it, it, from, from 33 to 45. So... I, I just, I don't... No, I mean, have you... No, do I think the life was particularly good in Germany, because if you would have had any opposition at all to the government... See, here's the thing about the concentration camps, or the, the, I really shouldn't... I don't like to use the word concentration. They were extermination camps. They were death camps. They were designed to, to kill people. Um, in, industrialized slaughter of other human beings. Yeah, there, there were, there, there. It is true there were six million Jews that they put into these, to these um, extermination camps. There was a deliberate effort to, um, com- of genocide to completely eliminate a, 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 a category of people from Europe, from yeah. the earth, to really destroy them. On the other hand, there were other people that were in the, these death camps as well, and these include all sorts of other groups of people, like gypsies and shit. I heard that gypsies, was um, gay people, political dissidents, clergy, religious people, anybody who didn't fit in with the Nazi message went Daddy. into these camps. Yeah. So I really, <laughs> I really, have you read any like firsthand like diaries or some that are Germans talking about? These camps, or any like information you got from a first-hand German type, by type German sources? Yeah, yeah. like a German like person a, saying like like an Anne Frank diary. Yeah, like we oh. know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. No, I have not. Oh. But I have read historical mm. accounts that so, do talk about <clears throat> and say this was not. I mean, one of the biggest biggest myths that comes out is the German generals didn't know about this, and these were all you know just professional military men. Well, no, that was the story they told when they were all in prison camp and they didn't want to go to jail. Oh, what? What was going on? And they, yeah. No idea. This is news to me. But that becomes entrenched in people's thoughts about the war, that the German military, this was all just the SS. And then we find out, no, they all knew. We've got all these papers. We got stuff. A lot of it was stuff that the Soviets had taken, uh, documentation that they had that after the fall of the Soviet Union, historians got access to some of these. And I see that, no, they because the extermination was all happening in Russia, <laughs> for the most part, <laughs> that the German generals were not only knew about this, they were participating, some of them very enthusiastically. So well, that, Yeah, that's why you see them all leave. That's why they all end up migrating to that uh, South American colony. Oh, the German generals. Yeah, yeah, in Argentina. It's not like they did. It's just like the the pedophile list. Oh, now just half of the list. Those people just disappeared at the same time. I mean, I would have fucking fled if I was a Nazi general. What the fuck? Yeah. I stay there. It's well, hard they claim they were Nazi generals, and a lot of them what? did stay in Europe. Yeah, some of them, some of them, <laughs> some of these German generals actually become. Um, Involved in the the West German military and in, in NATO, some of um, get the fuck out. No, no, no. Oh, there was no. some. Uh, oh, I can't remember his name. He was. Um, he was. He uh, there was. Um, he worked under Rommel, and then he was. He was in the um, chief of staff of the army group in the West during D Day. Um, I don't know. You could tell us a random name. We probably believe it. No, I'll, 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 I'll get I'll, on it right. Yeah, I'll get his name. I'll no. Um, I completely forgot what Jesus. I was going to say. Well, I'll, I'll real quick tie, ask 
um, if you think it is a coincidence that America and the 1% population is made up of the Jewish heritage. There's a lot of Jewish people now, coincidentally, after World War II, that are on top running America is a, a conspiracy theory one would put together. You I, see it a lot on the internet, I would say. Yeah, well, I, yeah I, go I, on 4chan <laughs> for 30 seconds. I personally don't see that. Yeah, no, I mean... I mean, this is... It, the the, the um, Jews were excluded from many places in America, traditionally. Um, certain schools, certain jobs, certain companies. Um, they were also subjected to restrictive covenants, so I don't... I, but, like, weren't the Irish, too? And what's to stop them right. from getting powerful over in... Israel coming over or over wherever I'm coming over. It seems like the Jewish religion is majority rich people. Is what we're, you know what I'm saying? Like why? Why? What is the what is the coincidence? I, 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 don't, I, I can take a stab at why I think that is. I think enshrined in the Jewish community is a very big sense of community and helping out like your fellow Jewish people. And I think that's a unique thing to them. Well, because they got a history of being unwelcome, unwanted, mm. and persecuted wherever they've gone. So this is a cell. Yeah, anything yeah. is a defense mechanism yeah. to that. Unite within ourselves, because yeah. people of other skin were naturally. Yeah, not I don't going think that control. translates into they control the world. I mean, I could see what you think that. No, my question is this: Then is like, do you think that we're on track for another civil war? Because I was, I was watching Bill Maher. You watch Bill Maher? No. Okay. But he was talking about how at the end of the Civil War, Lincoln was not a dick to the people who owned slaves. Like, his message was all about, like, let's just put all this behind us and, like, try and heal as a nation, right? But I don't see that happening right now with people that are labeled political dissidents. So, like... Mm-hmm. Also, so, real quick, like, I don't... Real quick, yeah. is this the... German Marshall? No, he's... No, um... Who would have been his chief of staff? I'm sorry, I just am totally blanking this name. Yeah, Erwin so Rommel, we, Federal Marshal Erwin Rommel. I wanted to get it. Okay. Damn it. Well, Damn it! We need a Jamie, dude. Yeah, we need a Jamie. Yeah. A fact checker. Oh, okay, sorry. It's like, what was the question? Yeah. Is all of Lincoln... Oh, oh so, so we're, talk- <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. talking about Lincoln. Um, well, well f- first off, um, Reconstruction policy was not strictly Lincoln's alone to decide. One of the, even Lincoln, who was one of the most powerful, maybe the most powerful chief executive America's ever had, um, who claimed extraordinary powers because of the rebellion... And was very um, maybe aggressive is too strong a term. Maybe it's not, but I mean, very aggressive in, in broadening that and claiming those powers. Didn't he suspend habeas corpus? He did. At the same time, though, in the 19th century, people tended to to not expect the president to have that kind of power. They looked at Congress as being the ones that decided mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. And the, Lincoln spent a lot of time fighting with Congress, even though Congress was controlled by his own party, the Republicans. 
about, and Reconstruction was one of them. So, um, yes, Lincoln did have this idea of, um, in a way, he phrased it in a way that Lincoln kind of phrased these things when he was discussing it with um, General Sherman and Grant when they were talking about the, you know, as they were coming down, the war was winding down, what do we do with the, the armies? Um, you know, at the end here, Grant's thinking, you know, we're fighting Lee. He's pretty much just about to destroy what's left of Lee's army at Appomattox. <laughs> and About's he's going to surrender here. to Grant. And, you know, Lincoln is, you know, they know this. The war is going to come to a, to a pretty swift conclusion at this point. And Lincoln says, you know, let him up easy. Mm-hmm. You know, which is that you just had this big fight and we're just going to, you know, we're not going to pummel you to death. We're going to let you up easy. And that is at variance to what Congress wants to do, which is to punish the South. Yeah. And you have this, you know, radical reconstruction. So Lincoln's, I don't whatever Bill Maher is thinking, but Lincoln's policy alone wasn't the one that was going to decide what was going to happen. We don't know what Lincoln ultimately would have done because, of course, he's assassinated Congress was at a session in the summer of 1865, so he had a lot of time to do some things on his own, and it would have been interesting to see what he would have done. It's one of the, yeah. it's probably the greatest what if in American history, but we don't know um, what he was, what he might have done. But yes, he and he seemed to be moving a lot over time. He threw up Lincoln was somebody who threw out a lot of trial balloons, tried a lot of different experiments, which is why. Something like, what was his policy towards the slaves, and was he, um, how strong against slavery was he? Uh, it's hard to get an answer for that because he floated so many different ideas. I mean, he was talking about colonization, which is the idea of sending freed slaves to another place. He was talking about that as late as 1864. So sending him somewhere else, like back to Africa. Well, I wouldn't use back to since these people were born oh. in America and had never been to Africa. Um, right, gentlemen. Sending, <laughs> sending up right. Well, basically exporting them to Africa, exporting them to some other place in the West, exporting them to Central or South America. Those were all ideas that had been proposed for the colonization of of uh, former slaves. So it's it's hard to know what Lincoln would have done, but yeah, he did. He did seem to be inclined to be more, uh, less punitive towards, towards, towards the South than what the direction Congress may have been heading. But we don't really know. I mean, conceptually, though, do you agree with that? Like, letting the, like letting the enemy kind of get up, get up. I guess, yeah. Um. <clears throat> yes. Um. But I do want to point out in the case of. Reconstruction, Andrew Johnson, who becomes president after Lincoln's assassination from mm-hmm. Tennessee. Yo, yo, 615. Who is very much a, uh, a southerner, who um, is very lenient. Well, at first is somewhat punitive, but he, he, he issues pardons very um, liberally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's a point that he's sending them to people they're not even asking for them. He's just giving them out. Oh, that'd be pretty dope. So he's giving out pardons. And, and what the pardons yeah. were for is that under the Reconstruction, um, that so, you know that people had participated in the war could have, especially if they're over a certain rank, could have their, um, you know, lose their right to vote or something like that. So by giving them this pardon, he's basically giving them the right to vote. Mm. He's giving them the right to hold office, that kind of thing. And he's sending these things quite quite liberally and 
by um, December of 1865, he's already formed a number of state governments in the South that he wants to readmit into the Union. And many of these states have um, what are called black codes, which are laws that um, greatly inhibit the freedom of the newly freed men, the the former slaves. Um, Things like vagrancy laws, things like um, uh, uh, segregation where you could live, what kinds of jobs you could have, uh, career codes, and, and stuff like that. So um, that kind of, you know, there was that sort of attempt to sort of give, you know, this very soft readmission to the Union, and that's (laughs) what happens, and that was not something that was uh, approved of by Congress, so Congress starts to um, Uh, reverse that. So I would, I I, I do think that, (laughs) yeah, there may be some... um, you know, um, reconciliation would have been good, but that was not something that, if you want to use that as an effort to time to say it was tried, it didn't work for the purposes of, um, incorporating, um, the freedmen into society as free people with all the rights that everybody else has. Yeah. Cause that was Bill Maher's point was like, we saw how, demoralized the German people were after World War One, mm-hmm. and that was exactly how we got Hitler. And so he was kind of talking about... What? Uh-oh. <laughs> what? Um, th- yeah, that's, that's, that's really kind of a really bad shorthand. Why? You, I mean, I don't know enough don't really about it. it to have, like, an opinion. I was just... That's what he said. I know. I'm not. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying yeah. that that's a very common thing. That you know, we, we were too harsh on the Germans, who, by the way, were extremely harsh to everybody they conquered in World War One. There was nothing about the Treaty of Versailles that was any different than what the Germans had done to everybody else. Oh, really? Um, and and nor did the reparations themselves necessarily trigger um, this hyperinflation that comes. That that's the German government's response to the reparations is to hyperinflate their currency. Fine, you guys want money? We're going to give you money. We're just going to keep printing it out. Yeah. Um, Get them building blocks. Yeah, I've seen those those pictures in, like, school where they were, yeah. like, lining the walls. And, like, wheelbarrows. Yeah. The kids yeah, are the playing. wheelbarrows yeah. to buy a loaf of bread. Because yeah. it wasn't worth shit. Yeah. But but the end... But, the, but Hitler... The, the, the rise of the Nazis has a lot more to do with the Great Depression, probably, than just World War One. What do you mean, the Great Depression? Like, for those who don't know, I mean, they don't do a good job at teaching us this in public school. Well, there is the, 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 the um, economic collapse that starts in, um, well, the stock market crash in 1929, the, the, the economic collapse is pretty strong, uh, you know, happens, starts happening uh, quickly. Um, by the time we get to 1930, this, we're in um, a, a depression. It, it's got its ups and downs until it really gets starts getting bad again in 1932 and 1933. But it's a pretty, pretty bad thing. But it also is a global thing because the whole currency. So after World War, I don't know if we're getting way off field. No, no, we're we're so we're, after, we're, we're after World War One, the Europeans owned the United States money. Mm-hmm. Germany owes, and by the Europeans I mean the French, the British, French and British predominantly, but also Belgium and a few other smaller countries. Germans owe them reparations money. 
So we talked about the hyperinflation. Well, how do you stabilize this economic system? We want the Allies to give us our money back. We want the Germans to give them the reparations so they can have the money to give us back. Mm -hmm. And we want to rebuild the European economy. So what they come up with is this, this plan called the um, Dawes Plan, which is, okay, American bankers are going to loan Germany a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Germany's then going to take some of that money and invest it and take the rest and pay off the, re the reparations. The Allies are then going to take that money and invest it in their countries and then take the rest of it and give it back to us for our, our war loans. And then we're going to see that circle is going to create. Yeah. But what happens is when the Depression hits in the United States, the banks in America don't have the money to give. And by 1931, we default on those. We can't make those payments. So the German banks fall. They can't yeah. make the reparations <laughs> payments. So the Europe, So we just, you know, we tried a bunch of things. Hoover tried, you know, a, a debt moratorium or whatever and a reparations moratorium, none of that stuff. But anyway, um, that's what really kind of is a contributing factor to spreading it. So the, the, the economic systems start to collapse. And that's when, uh, in Germany, you wind up with a situation where um, the Nazis, who were actually on the decline at that point, they'd already kind of peaked. There's all these parties are springing up and it's sort of like you know a political primary where you got like 20 candidates and one shoots up one week and then you don't hear from them again yeah. and somebody else shoots up well um that seemed to be what happened but when when the depression hits germany and they start to really feel it it the the nazis are on message about economic stuff and they're not so much talking about the racial policies they're talking a lot about the economic policies and um that that you know gives them enough uh, influence and strength in elections to win some seats in in the Reichstag, hmm. but it's it's got a lot to do with the depression. But the depression spreads because that circle of money um, it is defaulted and popped. Then. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing is that it it turns out that you know at the end the United States doesn't get any of the money back. Well, yeah. <laughs> the United States gets very little back from the war debts. Gets none of this money back that it loaned uh, Germany. We basically yeah. write that off. The only country that actually paid off its war debt from World War One, as you want to take a guess, it wasn't even a country in World War One started. Uh, Madagascar. I have no idea. I don't know Israel, just because they're always up to. They something. weren't a country back then. <laughs> they're always up to Finland. something. I hate them. Finland, which was part of Russia. Which was an allied oh, nation Finland. the United States had loaned money to. They, they're the only ones that paid off. Shout out to Finland. That would have been the last country, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. With that, real quick, though, I am going to take a bathroom break. Yeah, we'll fucking We'll, just we'll hop right back in real quick. All right, and we're back. So. Looking to have a little closing question here. Stemming away from history and kind of your expertise, I wanted to kind of know what was one thing that has led to your success. It could be like, I know you run every day. Kevin has mentioned that. When I met you, you had binoculars in your lap. <laughs> uh, he's, he's mentioned your uh, bird book. Just these little hobbies or key things. You tell yourself, what what is something that, a man like myself who's 24 who wants to inspire people and teach people what is one thing that has led you to the success of teaching people um hmm. well I do have a big curiosity 
I'm always, I like to read a lot and um, always check what I'm reading. You know, you don't have to believe every everything. I think too many people buy like a history book or a biography or something and they think that's the only thing ever said about that event or that person. And that's not true. You can, you know, there's there's a million books about Abraham Lincoln and they all have a very different kind of Abraham Lincoln uh, to it. So I think just having the curiosity and, and skepticism, I think, is something that's served me very well when it comes to um, uh, doing history. I think it would be the same thing if you were doing, you know, whatever you were doing. Like if you were, you know, say, for example, you know, someone who was selling, you know, stocks or something. I mean, you, you, you can't just go by, you know, one, you know, quarterly report of what the company is saying. You know, you want to look up and investigate that and find out what's the, the story behind the story. And I think that's... Yeah, I, th- I think it's got to do with passion. Like, I could tell when you were telling us this stuff mm-hmm. that you're passionate about it. And that's what I really like, especially growing up, because it's like, my dad would tell me stuff like that all the time growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the actual, like, content of what you were saying was, like, pretty boring as a kid. <laughs> I- I'm not going to, I mean, it is what it is. Well, you mean most, you didn't want to learn about Russia and you Yeah, most 13-year-olds aren't thinking like that. But I could tell, though, that you were very passionate, and it was that something that it was exciting to you. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, that that made me want to kind of get more into history personally. It was like, if it's exciting to you, odds are I'm going to find it least interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think it would benefit more people to become passionate about anything. Anything. <laughs> Any, anything at all, bro. Anything. How, how many people right now are just... Complete zombies, like get them by. Like it's true. It's like they don't care. Like their their shows they watch on TV suck. They don't read. Their interpersonal relationships are really not much, mm-hmm. and it's like they're not really passionate on anything. And I think that's a big problem now. Um, but yeah, my question is this: What does this country need? <laughs> what does this country need? Yeah, it could be anything. What What does America need? My right simple now? answer is milk. You need some milk, bro. I need some milk. Um. Well, I don't know how to answer that. That's a tough one. <laughs> that's you, a, you that's know a too big one. much. That's the problem. Yeah. It's too nuanced of a question. It is It is too nuanced of a question. And, um, you know, it also kind of turns a little bit on um, personal political preferences, which I don't think is really what you're asking. I think... I mean... I think there's anything, got... Yeah. I, think, I do think we need to... Um, I don't. I. I'm very concerned about the lack of civility in this country, regardless of whatever people think. It's like everybody is just so like, er, right now. Everybody's just so like, wound up. Like every one little thing, you know, people are very easily offended, and I think that's something that's gotta gotta come down. I think we have. I think I think there's just a general lack of trust in other people. You know, we it's not to. just that people don't trust strangers, which we talked about. It says people don't trust neighbors. People don't trust their own family members. There's a lot of a lot of discord, and I think that that's something that has to come out. And I don't think it it's I think it gets worse by things that the government can do, but I don't necessarily think it is strictly a problem of a law or something. I think it's got a lot to do with. We're all in this, this mindset, yeah. and I, I don't just—I don't know how to get rid of that. <clears throat> I don't know how to change that, but I—I I don't think government policy is the answer. No, and I don't. But I don't think you know um, everybody. You know, finding it in their heart to do whatever yeah, is going to no. solve it, it either. I—I I just don't know what 
the thing is whether it's some some something that unifies people but even the big problems that we face are things that are dividing us not yeah. unifying us so i don't know what what it is that could do that yeah that's kind of another reason we started this podcast is because i hate when someone disagrees with someone and then they just refuse to discuss it like like i say you're a democrat and i'm a republican i don't want shit to do with you because it's like that doesn't help anything like we need we need to be talking with people that we disagree with yeah and yeah. it's way too easy to shut someone down and then just go home and be angry yeah it's like this, dude, we don't get anywhere yeah no it's i don't know if like i'm sure both of you being married it's like a one little thing that went wrong and you hold it in like your wife didn't clean the dishes right so you hold it in for a week and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse yeah. If we're not talking for a year, and then now we're not talking for two years, and then it's three, four, five about all these problems, these problems are eventually only going to get worse to a state where we have no option but to unite. Yeah, no, I absolutely... <laughs> Insert yeah. World War III. I th- yeah, I think people, <laughs> people need to do a better job at like disagreeing with other people and not hating them. Like. Mm. Like we we disagree yeah, no, on, just on disagree. a shit ton He of stuff. straight up told you no. But like at the end of the day, you're still my dad. We <laughs> yeah. We need to get along, you know. Like uh, people just need to realize, like it's okay for people to not agree with you on absolutely everything. Like that's okay, and we should talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that though, closing remarks. With that though, yeah. No, I uh, I'm very thankful that we were able to get you on the show, Dad. Well, I'm very thankful to be here, and I look forward to um, more and more of your podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to hopefully have you on Zoom or something one day. We'll get it all figured out, three different states. It's hard. I'm up here for uh, for the next couple of days. So it just kind of worked out as it normally does. I thank you a lot for coming on. I'm probably going to listen to this podcast six times over <laughs> and learn something new each time, which guys, is the goal. Do you guys have, like, uh, future podcasts you're planning? Do you have, like, um, ideas or anything or just sort of? Um, so right now... It's kind of been put off because the creator of the other podcast is going through shit, but we're trying to, he's going, we have him linked out TC Network. Mm -hmm. We're trying to expand to him. He's more sports related and music related. So I would like to throw, he already has our podcast on his Mm -hmm. website. I would like to just kind of throw our logo in the corner of his Mm -hmm. and then he could do whatever he wants and then we'll figure out from there. There's a, a lot of things in the works. Um, we got a buddy who just hit me up, Tim McDonald, started making music, so hopefully we can get into that. I mean, we're open to anything, we just don't... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's usually... It's hard to plan. It's usually yeah, like yeah. we, we want to, like, we get a person that's interested, and then we kind of pick the topics off of them. So, okay. like, we wouldn't talk to you about, like... Music. Abortion. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to bring abortion into this. I would much rather hear your opinion on... Yeah, history. like likewise, I wouldn't ask Shannon about early American history because, yes, exactly. like, what the hell would be more of that? So the goal is kind of just to spread knowledge in an easy environment to where there's no mm-hmm. "I hate you" in here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's a big thing we're trying to do is like get people on that don't really agree with us, yeah. and that we can kind because, of, like, honestly, every time that we do that, we we agree on a lot more than we disagree on. It's mm-hmm. like we'll we'll disagree on maybe five percent of what we you know, totally think. But we agree on so much more than that. Mm-hmm. But people get so wrapped up and focused on what they disagree and they don't have that that discourse to realize that we actually are a lot more alike than we are on the like or 
yeah. separate. But yeah, anyway, though, uh, thanks everyone for watching. Great to have my dad on. Hopefully, we can uh, yeah push some more content in the future. Yes, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Peace.